Welcome to Everything's Interesting. My name is Justin Blizzard, and I'm here with Keith Krepko. Keith, uh, happy uh, National Strawberries and Cream Day. <laughs> happy National Memo Day. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, how's your week been? Uh, you know, one embarrassment after another. Right. <clears throat> um, but I'm still standing, still here. How about mm. you? It's been all right. Um, uh, speaking of embarrassments, I've had I've had the same instance happen to me twice now at work. Okay. The first time was with my boss, uh-huh. and what happened was my boss was out for like a week straight, out sick. She just, you know, didn't show up Monday and was like, "Hey, I'm out sick. I should be back tomorrow." Next day, she's not there. Next day, she's not there again, and then by Thursday, she's like. I'm just staying home for the week. So on Monday, Good for her. right, Monday she's back. I come in and we're sort of talking and I'm asking her like, you know, how everything's going, uh, how she's feeling. And she's talking a little bit about, yeah, you know, I just, uh, she never really mentioned specifically what happened. Um, but she was just said that she was feeling some way. She stayed home. It didn't get any better. So she went to the doctors, and the doctors asked her to stay home, and then they were running tests and all this stuff, and blah, blah, blah. And so we sort of go back and forth a couple times. Right. Uh, and she never explicitly says what's wrong. Right. And I should have taken that as a sign to Don't stop ask. asking questions, <laughs> but I didn't. And so I just was like, so it was just like Ugh. the flu or something. And I'm not like trying to be meddlesome. It just is like... I'm, I'm, you're medals. I'm trying to like make conversation, right? Right. I'm just, I don't know. I'm so bad at it that I'm just not picking up on these cues, right? And so she just goes, uh, no, they were, you know, just female problems. <laughs> so, and so she, as soon as she said it, I was just like, well, uh, I went way too far. Like, <laughs> I definitely crossed the line. Like, so, anyways, that was a couple weeks ago. So then Monday or Tuesday, this other woman I work with is in my office. Well, first of all, my boss is like, hey, um, so-and-so is going to be late into work today because she had to take her daughter to the doctor. You know, okay, whatever. Later in the day, she comes into my office to put away a bunch of paperwork because the file cabinet where we keep our paperwork is in my office. And she comes in with a huge stack of paperwork, right? So now I'm, I'm immediately thinking, like, she's going to be in my office for a while. What are we going to talk about, right? Right. So she starts putting away the paperwork, and so I'm just like, you know, how any your- medical issues that we can talk about? <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just like, well, you know, uh, you know, our boss was like, our boss told me that your your uh, daughter had a doctor's appointment today. Is everything all right? You know, again, I'm not trying to be like nosy. I'm just trying to like find something to talk to her about while she's standing in my office putting away files instead of just like turning my back to her and working on the computer. You know what I mean? Right. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, she just, um, you know, we just went to run some tests and uh, but she's doing fine. I'm going to pick her up later today. And again, I just am like, I don't know what to say. So I'm just like. You know, uh, just the like flu? exactly. I was just like, is, is she just kind of like sick, kind of like a flu thing or whatever? Oh. <laughs> she goes, and so she she hesitated for a second, and as soon as she hesitated again, I was just like, I was just like, what? Why am Lizard I doing this? What did I do? Z's. Right? What? And she just goes, she goes, uh, they think she's bipolar. 
And I was like, oh my God. I was just like, what do I do? And I was like, I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> and she goes, and then so she starts explaining it more. And she's like, you know, so they're going to be, they're just doing these tests. She's been having some trouble at school. They'll give us the results in three weeks, blah, blah, blah. And so I was just like, well, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. And I really like had no idea where to go from there. So I was just like, so she she's putting these files away in my file cabinet, right? So then I just started talking to her about the file cabinet. Like, <laughs> like, like my file cabinet for some reason is like you can only open one drawer at a time. I don't know if that's like it's a safety precaution, right? But what the safety for what? It's a file cabinet because yeah, because if you pull out too many, it'll get top heavy and it'll topple over. Oh, see, I didn't think about that. Yeah, so you can only have one because if you pull out maybe the top two, boom. But even then, there's four drawers in this file cabinet. Yeah, yeah. Pull out the top two. And what it's are people storing over. in their file cabinets? Files. That's heavy. File cabinets are flimsy. I guess. Have you ever tried to lay on that thing it seems to me though like they would have a better precaution than just saying like i feel a little disrespected when i can't open more than one drawer of my file cabinet <laughs> i feel like my file cabinet is spitting in <laughs> my face you, who do you think you are You're <laughs> exactly not even right alive so that's what i started talking to her about and it was just <laughs> was like ugh, like so she didn't know about the safety precaution either no well yeah she had one open and she tried to open another one, and I was just like, "Oh yeah, you have to, you have to close the one to open the other one." And it's just See, like I'm an adult; I know how many drawers I want open in my file cabinet. My file cabinet should not be dictating to me how many drawers I can have it open. See, you know what you are, Justin? You're an anti-vaccinator. <laughs> That's what you are. You have been so removed from the problem. You can't remember when people were getting crushed mm. by filing cabinets. When people's feet were getting crushed and, and maybe even some people that they had to do this precaution. Now you're just upset at the precaution. Maybe. So what's next, Justin? <laughs> Vaccines? No, I don't think so. I think I global think I'm, warming. I'm going to focus more on uh, not prying on my coworkers medical issues. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't pry in your file issues either. You should just <laughs> trust that if it only yeah. opens one at a time. It's for your benefit. And if somebody doesn't tell you what's going on with their medical condition, it's for your benefit. That's true. Well, Good lesson, week. Lesson learned. Yeah. And it's not <laughs> even over yet. It's only Wednesday. <laughs> so I'm hoping my boss has been out all week again. I'm hoping it just continues because I know as soon as I walk in, I'm just going to I'm going to step foot right in that same trap. Yep. Well, you just called it. You called your shot. Yeah. Let's see if you can live down to that. <laughs> All right. Well, happy strawberries and cream day. Yeah. Um, Are you ready to crap all over the things I love <laughs> most? Yeah. Well, today, yeah, today we're gonna talk about uh, we're gonna talk about the movie Blue Ruin. Um, apparently briefly. Yeah, it's gonna be a little brief because I don't have much to say about it. So we'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, but the the majority of our time will be spent on the rec- on Keith's recommendation from last show, Rectify, the Sundance television show, Rectify, and uh, then we'll go into Twitter and see what's going on over there, and we'll close with uh, I've got a recommendation for Keith this week, and then uh, then we'll go to bed. Yeah, but we won't record that. Actually, I'm gonna watch the we're gonna try and watch the Survivor finale oh, after this. Yeah, if it's not too late. Uh, Here's hoping. Yeah. 
yeah, so uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with Blue Ruin. So I think um, I'll let you explain that. And the story is kind of, it's what everyone talks about when they talk about Blue Ruin. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of people first talked about the film. Like, I remember hearing people talking about it out of um, fests. Like, uh, it played a, a bunch of film fests. And I remember a lot of buzz coming out of there. I think the story goes that, that he got... Um, turned down by Sundance, right? Uh, but was accepted by the Cannes Film Festival. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> anyway, my b- before we get into the film proper, which is a revenge story told f- from the perspective of somebody who is not equipped to carry out their own revenge plot. That's right. kind of roughly what the film is about. The story behind it is of this guy who made a kind of horror comedy called Murder Party, which I still haven't seen, mm-hmm. and um, went to work making corporate videos for like IBM, I think. And then worked on some of his other friends' films in the indie circuit um, and then decided to go all in with his best friend. Um, and then it kind of swept the festival circuit. Now it's getting some modicum of... of success and my my question to you before we get into the film proper i think is how much should should the story of how a film is made affect the viewer's enjoyment of that film uh and if it should at all how much should it affect like could you or is there an example of a film that you said I didn't really like the film, but I respect so much how it was made. Mm-hmm. They actually like this film or or I own it or I'd, I'd right. support it. I think, I think it's an interesting <clears throat> distinction to say. I think, uh, I think it's interesting and a distinction has to be made between should it affect how you view a movie, how you view a movie and and does it affect because i think obviously for some people it does and for others it doesn't and that is you know going to differ from person to person right i would say on a base level of should it affect how you view a movie or maybe whether or not you like a movie or whether or not a movie is quote unquote good i would say no i don't think it should i think the movie should stand on its own period regardless of what you think the director is trying to say how the movie was made you know that's all for me all that stuff is more or less bonus material right it's like dvd material it's like i already love this movie and this stuff i'm learning about how it was made or about the director's vision for it is only 
enhancing that love of the movie. Yeah, well, I really quick, I I find it interesting, especially because we talked about True Detective, and I feel like with television that equation changes a little bit because you were somebody who not only dug into the television show was going on, but how it was being created and written. Like you knew how long Nick Pizzolatto spent in writing, mm-hmm. you know, the season. Um, and you were interested in, in him as a writer, I believe too. Right. Right. Like, and as the film was going along, you kind of got interested in the creator as well. That kind of ran alongside your love of the, of the show. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, how is that just because television goes for longer? So you have more time to live with that work. Whereas a movie is 90 minutes in and out and it doesn't invite you to linger so, so much like, cause it seems like the equation changes for you when there's a television show, because what was being done before and around that season affected your enjoyment of it, I feel like. Mm-hmm. But with a film, I think it's different is what I'm hearing from, from you. That right. You kind of look more at what what has been created and you disregard the other stuff. Yeah, and I don't – I wouldn't – for me, the distinction is not one's a movie and one's a, a television show. The distinction is that I enjoyed one and I didn't enjoy the other. And I didn't like – I liked – True. De- I didn't read. I, I read nothing about True Detective before we watched the before pilot? I watched the pilot. Okay. And then I watched the pilot, and then I started reading as much as I could, and then I spent the next eight weeks reading as much as I could, and watching all the episodes, and going back and rewatching, and and rereading, and you know scouring Reddit for theories, and um. So for and that's what I was saying. For me, the diff. I, for me, I don't think. And I don't think that outside stuff should or does make a movie or whatever good or bad. I feel like it enhances it for somebody that already enjoys it. It's right? like shading. It's just background color. Yeah, shading. yeah. It's you know, it's it's you know, it's 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 the history of how Exile on Main Street was recorded. You know what I mean? Right. Like you already have something that you love listening to but you also have this sort of mythological story surrounding it that makes it that much better. Yeah. Right. Um, and with all of that being said, I didn't, I didn't dislike blue ruin. I just didn't really get anything from it or I didn't get anything from it that I felt like I could get from something else better. Okay. Or that I have gotten from something else better. All right, um, so it's yeah, it's an interesting story, mm-hmm. it, and even if we want to analyze that a little bit, like, like for me, if if if, you, well, I mean, I guess I don't want to go down. Like, I haven't done these things, right? right? I haven't, I haven't created something like that, right? But it's more or less a revenge movie, right? right? And it doesn't stray too far from that. It doesn't reach any further from that. Um, it's not trying to make, or at least I didn't feel like it was. It's not trying to make a grand statement about humanity. It's more, the message of the movie is more or less like, you know, violence begets violence, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think there's, I think that's part of it. Um, and really quickly, just to, just to set the stage, 
um, for it. The, the, the film uh, follows a man who seems to be living on the streets, uh, who then gets word that someone is being released from jail. And we don't really know who that person is. Um, and he seems very affected by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we follow, um, his name's Dwight. We, we follow Dwight as he then tries to buy a gun. Well, he's a, he's, he's a, he's a beach bum. Yeah. Yeah. In he, a very literal way. Like right. he's a homeless guy living right. on the beach. Right. So he's got a big, long beard, year, years old beard. Right. And, and the right. Blue Ruin is a car. It's the car he lives in. Right. right. And so he goes to goes to the jail and he seeks out, tries to seek his revenge on this man. And I guess for this one, because we're not as engaged in the in the dynamics of the plot, I guess we won't spoil it. Or at least we'll, we'll try not to. Right? We'll, we'll just kind of keep sure. it. Sure. Yeah. Keep, I mean, keep it's, it a, it's, it's a revenge movie. It's so a revenge movie. So you kind movie. of know where it's going anyways. <clears throat> yeah. And, and and some of the big action happens in the first, I'd say, 20 minutes of the film. Yeah. And then from there, we kind of see the fallout. Yeah. Um, and we follow um, Dwight. And we, and we, and we go, go from there. Now, you know, for me, what, what I really responded to with the film was, I think, number one, the, the revenge aspect is a genre that i'm interested in i do generally like those stories yeah um with this one i like the idea of revenge being done by an everyman and i think that that's an interesting premise i think you know and that's one thing that, that i like about hitchcock too i loved you know i love his films i love it too because it's kind of like the wrong man you know getting wrapped up in this greater plot than they're able to deal with and them mm-hmm. kind of navigating this and trying to figure it out. Like, I like that general sense of I'm following, you know, an average guy. I'm not following James Bond. I'm not following, you know, um, Jason Bourne right. or anybody like that. Right. And, and he's an everyman. He's an everyman like an everyman, not like right. Liam Neeson. Right. Right. He's not like a dad who's secretly a superhero. He's right. like a chubby scrub of a guy who's in his maybe 30s right who you know is obviously been obviously very affected by the loss of his family and and stuck and stuck there right he he has not been able to move on beyond may have some mental issues yeah right right and and he's been consumed by this idea of revenge right so i mean and and also i like that doesn't get overly philosophical i mean i do think that does hit at some other ideas but not in the sense that it becomes this kind of art house indie film where a man then contemplates his nature or how the violence that he has sought makes him like those who you know originated the violence against his family you know it's not it's not as interested in kind of being introspective in that way it's kind of telling a propulsive tense thriller and so i think that's that's the main thrust of the film and i appreciated that mm-hmm. now one thing that was interesting that, that i was interested in specifically with you and i think that i brought up as i was talking about it with you was a review that i read on a website where a guy a, a professional film critic who didn't review the film professionally i think because he stopped watching after 20 minutes mm-hmm. he was done and basically what finished it for him is a set piece 
where Dwight realizes the effects of what he's done is now coming down on other people Mm -hmm. that he cares about. And he's trying to get them away from danger so he can kind of deal with it. Mm -hmm. And the way that he deals with it is really poorly. He doesn't, he obviously has not thought this through. He doesn't know what, what to expect or, or how to expect it and wait for it. Mm-hmm. So he kind of just is there while some people try and come, you know, to, mm-hmm. to this house. At that point, the guy said that he thought, you know, Dwight, Dwight's actions were so ill-considered and ridiculous that he could not get on board with the film that Dwight himself showed so lack of concern, knowledge about his own situation that he was like, if this is the character I'm going to be following for the next hour, Mm -hmm. not interested. And he bailed. And my, my question to you is kind of, did you have a similar reaction? Cause Dwight's decision-making does not get better from there necessarily. But I think some of his decision-making does speak to the philosophical idea behind it that, again, he's not too interested in going in depth in, but I think it does ex- go to explain when you think about the nature of revenge and stuff, kind of how the story plays out. But what did you think of Dwight as a character and the decisions he made in in the story? I, I, I never, oh yeah, I, I never thought they were poor. You know, I, I think they, I think they, I think they follow pretty, at least what I believe to be realistically, you know, the, you know, he has his one act of revenge, which he's probably been thinking about for the past, I can't remember what they say in the movie, 10 years, 10 years, yeah, however yeah, long it's over been. 10 years, maybe 15. Um, and then, and then once that plays out, it's kind of like, you know, you don't think about what you do next. So you are sort of, you know, working on the fly of your pants. You know what I mean? You're not the seat of your pants. The seat of your pants. I'm the sorry. Fly of your right. Pants. The 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 his his he doesn't have a plan after that. So it shouldn't seem planned out, right? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like it should just it should feel like he does. I guess I feel. I guess. You know, we're presented with that argument. I would say it should feel like he doesn't know what he's doing well, because it, he doesn't know what he's doing. Right, and doesn't it kind of feel like you are dealing with a mentally unstable person? Right, yeah. Like this is not a guy who has his act together. He has not had it together for over a decade, and all of a sudden, you want him to have thought out a right. really good, detailed revenge plan right. and to know where to go with this. I think it's a man who is consumed. And who is stuck in this kind of limbo by this violent act that was committed against his family. And he can't move on from there. So, I mean, yeah, I felt like that whole reaction completely missed the point in a way that that I, I was kind of surprised in. And I wasn't kind of put off by his decision making while thinking like, you know, the weapon he chooses you're going to need a better weapon than that if what you're afraid is going to happen happens. And then I also love other little touches. Like, I thought the film was really funny. Did you think it was funny at all? No. Okay. 
maybe I, if you could remind me of a funny moment. I mean, it, it didn't. I I can't remember anything striking me as funny. But again, like I said before, like the movie just didn't, for whatever reason, it just did not register with me. Well, and and be, before I go on to like the like the scene that I think kind of shows this kind of sly, like that he's playing with the genre and mm-hmm. he knows what he's doing more than maybe what that guy who wrote that review would give him credit for in terms of the filmmaker. Um, I think this is also an homage to No Country for Old Men, which is maybe another reason the, why I liked the it. The first scene? The first? No, it is. So it's the scene where he moves his sister and her child okay. out of the house mm-hmm. and he's waiting for these men because he's like, they know where she lives. They, they may come back. On, this may come mm-hmm. back on her. And he's waiting for them. And sure enough, two guys show up. And one of them has a gun. But the other guy has a crossbow. Mm-hmm. And actually shoots Dwight in the leg oh, with okay. the crossbow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then yeah. we see Dwight escape. And we see him now having to deal with this crossbow in his leg. And so he starts by trying to break it off. Which looks horrifying. Mm-hmm. And then he has to go into a pharmacy to get, you know, bandages and stuff to right. kind of sew himself up. And you see him like buying all this equipment and the guy looking at him funny and him like just wanting to get this stuff, get out. Mm-hmm. He gets out and he starts to, you know, start, starts to clean the wound and everything, pull out the, the um, crossbow. And it gets to the point where he realizes he can't do it. Like, what is he thinking? And then it just cuts to him in a hospital being like, you have to help me out with this crossbow, yeah. you know? And yeah. so I... Well, it cuts to him walking into a hospital, asking for help, and then passing out? Passing out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for, from blood loss. Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's it's all of this in a, in a very realistic, right? You're dealing with this crossbow and his leg and it's gross and it's disgusting and all that stuff but there is this kind of undercurrent of kind of not only nodding at no country for old men and anton chigur who has to do the same thing except successfully like he cauterizes his own wound Mm -hmm. he sews himself up he can deal with it Mm -hmm. this guy can't deal with that right he could watch the movie he could think he can do that he can go through the motions. He can go through the right. motions, but when it comes down to, oh, all right, you're really going to sew that up, he can't do it. Yeah. And then he goes into the in, into the hospital and faints. So, I mean, I think that that, like, it's not laugh out loud funny, but I think it does show a, a kind of wit with the genre and kind of intention behind the film that I think is far more exciting than somebody who says, I'm just telling this revenge film, 90 minutes, I'll get you in and out you know, what's my next project? Yeah. And I, I agree with that, but for me personally, it, it's sort of this, it's the same thing as the mess as the violence message of the movie. Like I'm, I'm sold on the violence aspect. You know what I mean? Like I get it. I know that violence is bad. I don't particularly care to, to watch it even in a movie. Um, like it, it, it's kind of like, it's, it's probably one of the reasons why I haven't watched that documentary, The Act of Killing. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, I know that that's terrible, right? I get it. You should still watch it. I know I know that I should watch it. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I just don't want to see that stuff yeah. for an hour and a half. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's kind of like, it's kind of like, 
You know what I mean? Like, I know that if I got shot in the leg with an arrow, there's no way I'd pull <laughs> it out and sew it up. Like, I don't watch Anton Chigurh and think, maybe I could do that, right? right? I look at that and think, there's no way. Like, I I pray that that never happens to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. Um, so that's just, for whatever reason, it just, I just can't, I, I just, does it doesn't interest me. So when yeah. I saw that, like, I recognized that it was supposed to be, Maybe not not necessarily. I think when you say funny, it sort of makes me think like laugh out loud. But it's supposed to be maybe commentary on all, like you said, all that stuff. Right. And it's supposed to be maybe it's witty, a, a moment of levity, yeah. right? But at the same time, I feel like when that moment of levity comes, you know, forty five, thirty, or forty five minutes into a movie that has been nothing but like absolutely down in the dumps, dire. Like the dialogue is not witty, or even like borderline, like. There's barely any. There's barely any, right? It just is completely like a Charlie Brown movie up until that point. Like, <laughs> head down, eyes on his shoes, just depressing up until... And so for me, when that happened, it felt a little out of place, I guess. I recognized it. I know what he was going for, but it just felt a little out of place to me. All right, so you're ready to move on to rectify so I can try yeah, my, so, uh, uh, we'll, my revenge on we'll, you. <laughs> we'll take a quick break, and then we will um, get into the nitty and gritty of uh, rectify. And Justin's true nature will finally come out. <laughs> Rectify is a television series on the Sundance channel, right? Yep. It's had one season so far. And now it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix Watch Instantly, which is how I watched it. And uh, it's had one season. They just announced a few weeks ago, maybe, that they're doing a second season. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is about... It the more or less the one line summation of the show is it's about a guy who was wrongly convicted of murdering his girlfriend. He's on death row. He's on death row, and after 19 years, he's been uh, some DNA evidence has overturned his conviction, and he's been yep. released. And that's more or less ripped the, from the headlines. Yeah. So so and from that one. From from that quick synopsis, you can sort of pull the themes from it. Um, you it's know. six episodes. Yeah, so it's not. Yeah, so we should say the first step. The first season is only six episodes long. They're they're forty five minutes each. Um, so you know you're looking at about five hours. How long does it feel though, Justin? <laughs> well, I mean, look. To to be honest, I watched the entire thing in two days. Okay. I watched three episodes back to back on Friday night, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the next day, uh, I I watched the last three episodes, not back to back, but whenever my kids were sleeping, basically. Um, but with that being said, you know, I, I feel one way about the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Keith feels the complete other way. Yep. Um, so the first episode. So so let me say spoiler 
for the first episode of Rectify, <laughs> and I would say the entirety of the entire episode, of every single episode to and come. series arc to come. So in the first episode, you know, one of the greatest mysteries of this show could have been, like you said, did he do this? He's He is, if not nuanced, which I don't feel like he's nuanced, He's clearly a conflicted character, mm-hmm. right? Like you said, he's either, you know, he's the ultimate good or like he's this weirdo. Um, but anyways, in the very first episode, you have two scenes that to me oh, dictate the entire rest of the show. The first yeah. one is a scene in the woods between two characters who you've never seen before. Right. And they're arguing about Daniel being released from prison, right. what the police are going to ask them. One of them is clearly, uh, scared, nervous, scared, right? but he's clearly, uh, Hmm. He's clearly not smart, <laughs> right? Yeah. He's, 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 he's of lower intelligence and he's asked, he's asking the other one, like, what do we do? Blah, blah, blah. You can tell he's very conflicted, right? And the other guy is a is your typical bully, and he's just telling them, we just tell him the truth, which you can tell is obviously not the truth. It's a right? lie, yeah. To me, very ham-handed exposition. And then that scene ends, whatever. They go their separate ways. The this, this show goes on. And then the very first episode ends with the unintelligent guy shooting himself in the head in the middle of the woods. Yes. Which to me very clearly says Daniel did not kill this girl. He was more or less singled out because he was weird. And these two characters who were secretly meeting in the woods are who actually killed okay. this girl. I mean, I could and, say... Sorry, go on. And, and for me, that ruins... The entire you you lose the entire storyline of did Daniel do this, and you also lose the impact of the ending of the fifth episode. I want to say, where spoiler alert, spoiler alert, he um <laughs> he puts his brother-in-law in like a wrestling sleeper hold, right? And he his brother-in-law passes out. Like they they're having a heated conflict. Daniel puts him in a sleeper hold. He goes to sleep. And then he wakes up the next day with like coffee, coffee grinds, grinds shoved in his butt. butt. Yeah. <laughs> just is a little weird. But but you lose the impact of that. Like mm. to me, that impact would be so much greater if you never had those scene in the woods. And up until that fifth episode, you're still questioning, like, did Daniel actually do this? Well, because without those scenes in the woods, you know, those two scenes to me very clearly like these guys are bad guys. Okay, they're they're bad guys, but again, you're having to make assumptions about their involvement, and we still don't know Daniel's the the, the nature of his involvement. We don't know how it all worked out, right? So, I am still invested in discovering the mystery, even though to to, to me, you could either take that as those two characters simplify the mystery or they complicate the mystery right that they are either representing the clear out the answer that's it case closed or they are another element to this story that we need clarity on that we need kind of resolution on Mm 
they obviously have something to hide. But we are not a hundred percent, right? I am one hundred percent. You, yeah, you, you can be a hundred percent. But I mean, again, I think that that's a different of a pro- different of approach. Like I could still look at them and see them as two characters who complicate further complicate the mystery. <clears throat> I though don't never really took Rectify to be about the mystery. I am interested in kind of finding out Aiden's involvement in how it happened. But I'm fully connected and invested in that character. Like, that is why for me, in the six episodes, eight, you know, Daniel getting glasses becomes like, oh my gosh, Daniel got glasses. Now he can see right, you know? And I'm invested in the fact that he got glasses, uh-huh. you know? Uh-huh. And so, and so for, for me, I read everything as nuanced, as... Daniel in conflict with himself as a beautifully acted show, which again, I know, I know that we disagree Yes, and a well filmed show. I think it looks gorgeous too. I was looking at the Metacritic reviews and I saw one guy who was basically like, he gave an okay score. And the reason why he was kind of like, he didn't really like the characters, I guess, but he's like, Georgia looks great. <laughs> 60 percent or whatever like 60 out of 100 you know uh but i mean i i just think that you know you took it at a, as a very literal show everything that was happening was hitting you you know square on your forehead and you were just like not engaged in what it was trying to say about this specific character, human nature. There's also like the chokehold. No, I then I totally disagree. Oh, th- th- I look, totally look, disagree. Look. I, I I get the. That's the thing. I get the human nature stuff. It was still hitting me square on the forehead. Look, look because it's not nuanced. Look, it is look, very ham-handed. Look, the, the other thing that I'm going to say is just like the chokehold where he said, and he wakes up. You know, the brother-in-law wakes up with coffee grinds uh-huh. in his butt. <laughs> why did Why did Daniel put coffee grinds? In I his get butt? it. I get it. I get it. Yeah, because the bullying that he was, right. you know, engaging in was basically talking to Daniel about, you know, how maybe he got raped in prison yeah, and I, really, really pushing it. And so Daniel responded in kind, like that. That to me, again, speaks to a context that needs to explain that that situation and the violence that erupts. Should be shocking if you're engaged in the character, which I don't think you you no, were. No, I right? wasn't. You, but I but I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. The problem is, you have the first episode, which is good. I'll give you that. The first episode, despite all of my gripes that I've said, is good. The problem is that scene between him and his brother-in-law does not happen for four more hours in the show. Yeah. So at the end of episode five of a six-season episode, you don't have anything happen until the end of episode five. You, and well, at the end of episode five, something happens. But the problem is, by that time, you've already had so much explained to you. If not explicitly, then you can at least extrapolate it, or at least I did, that all of the mystery is gone. You, and and like I said, the stuff that you're getting philosophically, the human nature stuff, is stuff that I found better or i received better from the herzog documentaries okay well i mean i i still think that herzog is hitting at something very specific to 
death row experiences where rectify is hitting at something completely different i do think that to me if you want to talk about you know what rectify is saying from episode one through six there is an arc there and there's a lot more happening than just you know he's getting glasses he's going and laying on the grass you know or whatever you have from from the beginning there's there's the first conflict that, that that I introduced that really connected me to the character and that is you know people at war with themselves and with their natures that is inherently interesting to me and Daniel is a character who is in conflict with himself and we see that by the end of episode 2 where we see this kind of moral caving in and we see Amantha having that kind of disillusion of Daniel which I think is great. Then you also are dealing with the mother responding and reacting to to Daniel, which I found the mom to be completely sympathetic and very interesting. And the stepfather, who I is, think, very interesting is stretching. Oh it. gosh! And then, and then what you have is a, a a conversion, right? Daniel gets saved in like what is it, episode four? You know, because of his stepsister-in-law. Uh-huh. And then you have this kind of whole dealing and wrestling with religion that he's going through. Why did he make that choice to convert, right? And he is asking himself him, himself those same questions, right? What is his motivation? It's something that he can't answer. And we watch that whole arc as he's trying to look to a higher power for, for answers. And he is a man who is kind of being pulled by all these forces to try and plug back into society. His mom has an idea for what she wants him to do. Amantha has an idea for what she wants him to do. His stepbrother absolutely has an idea for what he wants him to do, you know? And then his stepsister-in-law, right? Pushing this kind of conversion on him. I found all that stuff to be interesting, to be saying something again that is worth consideration. You, though, from from when he buys a $3 bottle of water, I think completely shut down. The lights went out behind your eyes like they do on most things that are cultural, mu- movies, no, music. No, I'll tell you when I shut down. I shut down at the end of episode one when I... The end of a good episode that you... At, Admit. At the end of episode one, when I had already figured out the entire series, I shut down in episodes two, three, and four where nothing happens and 90% of episode five until the end where, where something happens. For me, like I said, all of that stuff is interesting, but I found that stuff in On Death Row or Into the Abyss. Into the Abyss. That's when I explored those things. And so for me, what would carry me from, for me, the, the, the arc of this series starts at zero at the beginning of episode one, right? It shoots shoots up at the end of episode one. Let's say it's at like on on, on a graph of a hundred of zero to a hundred, it's at 50, right? And then for episodes two, three, four, and five, it remains at 50. It just flatlines. And then at the end of episode five, it, it finally continues to go upward, right? But by that point, you like I said, you already know that Daniel did not do it. 
here, here, here's. I'm comfortable saying definitively that Daniel did not murder his girlfriend. Here, here, here's my here's my last question for you, um, before I storm out of here. <laughs> um, what did you think of the first 15 minutes of episode five? The goat man. Oh right, that's right. The that's right. That's 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 uh that's what you that's what you were talking about. The um that was the one thing that I I hunt. That was the reason why I recommended this. I was probably so off board of this show by then. I just oh I mean no no no. I I totally remember the sequence. I just it just didn't like do anything for me. It is so unexpected out of left it's definitely field. Un, yeah it's definitely unexpected that you and you know why because it's an interesting 15 minutes yeah when you've just watched an uninteresting three hours but, but, of a tv show but but to me introduces more complexity of daniel's state of mind as he's going through all this right but right? that's what i'm saying that's fine it's it's fine that introduces a different complexity of his state of mind but you know that he doesn't didn't have anything. You know that like like the ultimate complexity to me is like no. is this guy a murderer? He he. That's is, the question of the show. No no. He is the is the complexity. Daniel Holden right is. But that's what I'm saying. I Daniel to me, I don't care about like he's not interesting to me. Like like his 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 conflicts are interesting. I guess, but he. The acting and the writing, oh. to me, does not make me want to know more about this guy. I, I certainly don't care for the acting that much. I'm not going to say it's terrible, but it I, is definitely not like you have got to see this performance. So, so here's, here's in summary, all right? So if you want, again, this is how I'd characterize it, right? If you want a careful... Carefully considered, mm-hmm. not perfect, what is, television show that examines, you know, human nature in conflict with itself, right? And other characters in response to whether it's good or bad projecting their own characters on this on this man. Which is one reason why I think you feel like they are so binary, that you can kind of poke through what every other side characters kind of um, arc is, is because they're all reacting to Daniel Holden at the center of this, right? They're all projecting themselves onto him. The, the, the stepbrother who is greedy, right? And selfish is then enhanced when he's in conflict with Daniel and all the other characters respond that way. But Daniel is not outside of that as well, right? He's not just this kind of, you know, perfect being that gets to, you know, project. He's not like Jesus, right? Where people are, you know, project off of him their own issues, right? And he just gets to stand in the middle of everybody and be like unblemished by it. Like Daniel is, you know, like depleted by all the that, that attention and then he is human himself he's dealing with his own issues right he doesn't have time to deal with everybody else's issues that they're projecting on him and so it's this slow build up of that you know frustration uh with that character with the people and it ends 
in a violent act that I think is the crescendo of it's been building since, you know, he steps outside of the prison. And you can argue with, you know, the writing. I think the writing is great. I love listening to Daniel kind of break out this view on nature and man in conflict or based yeah. on the on the readings they did in prison you know he's a weird dude who's been reading a lot of books for 19 years now he's out in this culture you know and he's responding to it in a unique way so if that interests you right a, a carefully considered you can argue well written whatever i think it's a well written character study I don't think it gets better than Rectify. I think Rectify is trying different things. I think I think it's exciting. It's interesting. It's not Breaking Bad. You know, it's not cliffhanger centric. And well, it's certainly not cliffhanger centric. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it takes these character moments, you know, kind of legitimately, right? It takes it at face value, and you are either going to respond to Daniel. Like like I did or like you did, you're either gonna be right or wrong in how in how you <laughs> how you respond to them. But I mean, you know, again, just like Blue Ruin, my recommendation is go out and watch this before you watch another episode of NCIS or sure. And ca- can you think of an equivalent television show? I mean, I know that we talked about Herzog's. Um, television show that we don't know how to access right now but is there another narrative that even touches the kind of character complexity or the attempt at character complexity that rectify does that's out there right now that people could watch yeah i i don't watch i don't watch tv that often that was a trick question so i don't know yeah just to make (laughs) you look and sound like an idiot but but i'll just say yeah and i'll just say i'm you know i'm glad you like it i don't um, I'm not going to watch the second episode or the second season. Um, and if you're, and, and if you're looking for all of the things that you're talking about, I would watch into the abyss, but I wanted to end on a, a positive note on a note of possible, um, reconciliation. Mm. Did you notice who directed the first episode and who the executive producer of the series is. I want to say at the time I did, and I can't think of it now. I'm sure you did, because it's Keith Gordon That's who right. directed The Chocolate War. Yes. Right? That was a The Chocolate War was a film that kind of forged our yeah. cultural friendship. Yeah, The Chocolate War and um, Waking the Dead, Yeah, which was... Not good. Not good. But the Chocolate War is awesome. Awesome. Or at Love least it. it was awesome, you know. I watched it again since. 14 years ago. <laughs> I watched it again since then. It was actually when when uh, Netflix, when I had a, a disc deal. I remember oh, okay. I was yeah. running low on like what to do. And I was like, oh, the Chocolate War. And I remember I was so excited. I got it. And then I was terrified. <laughs> I was going to watch this and be like, oh, what were we thinking? Yeah. It held up really, really well. well. good. I'm glad to hear it. I, re- I really liked it. I remember that. Okay, well, that was uh, Rectify. Um, we'll take a... Uh, we'll take a uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with uh, Twitter. Maybe one of us won't. <laughs> I 
so we're back with uh, what's trending on Twitter. And you said that so like militant. <laughs> trending on Twitter. Uh, I think, and I think we agreed that we're going to um, avoid the the trending section because it's mostly filled with Survivor finale stuff, right? And and we both watch Survivor, and we want to avoid spoilers for the Survivor finale, right? Was there anything in the trending section? <sighs> nope. Survivor finale, I almost got spoiled. Right. But luckily, I threw my phone away before I could see. Yeah. Um, other than that, the only thing that was really trending today was the stupid Batman and Superman movie news. Batman v Superman. Right, which I think I summarized fairly well yep. in a tweet earlier today that just read, Breaking news, the Batman v Superman movie is called Batman v Superman. <laughs> right. Like, And this is a, a whole other thing, like... I, well, I don't want to go into it, but like comic book news and comic book movies is just like infuriating, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, why are we talking about this? Yeah. Why is this such a big deal? Yeah. Why Why is the... And who cares if they left the S off the yeah. V? I mean, who cares? Period. It's all stupid. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. So um, one thing I did want to talk about is, was it this week or maybe it was last week when the FCC had their hearing on uh, net neutrality. Mm-hmm. It was either, maybe it was Monday or maybe it was sometime last week. I really can't remember now. But I actually watched C-SPAN for an hour and a half Yeah. to watch the net neutrality hearing. I streamed it on my phone, How'd which I think maybe that negates the old man-ish of watching C-SPAN for that long. Right. The fact that I my phone. was able to stream it on my phone, right? Yeah. So I feel like I'm I'm coming away pretty from cool. that yeah, you're at a zero, cool. yeah. you know. I'm I, I'm not a net loss or a net gain, right? Uh, but anyway, so I watched it, and then about thirty minutes after it was over, I thought, let me get on Twitter and see what people are saying about this, mm-hmm. because I guess foolishly I assumed people who use the internet to get on Twitter to get on Twitter are going to be concerned with, you know, what's going on with the internet with and net neutrality. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are the um, the top trending topics that I found 30 minutes after, after the FCC's hearing on net neutrality. All right. So the first one is hashtag the view reunion. All right. Self-explanatory. Uh-huh. Uh, hashtag we believe in you, Chris, which I'm not entirely concerned with. I, I'm not entirely I don't entirely know what that's about, but I think it has something to do with like a a, a guy in a boy band, right? But I didn't, you know, I didn't. Re- or Chris I, I Martin. looked at no, 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 because it's K R I S. Uh, it's okay. not the traditional Chris. I looked at it briefly, but I didn't want to, you know, get like you didn't want to be sucked spoiled. into a black hole. So, um, hashtag or I'm sorry, this is just a, a phrase that was trending for whatever reason. Hot pockets. <laughs> yeah, I guess a lot of people are talking about hot pockets. Uh, and then hashtag imposters, which I looked at a little bit, and the top tweet from that ended up being this. And I'm going to read this as it's written. There's okay. no punctuation except okay. for one exclamation mark after the hashtag. Okay. 
I have relatives I know nothing of imposters. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I have relatives I know nothing of hashtag imposters exclamation mark. Ha. And okay. that is from, um, I'm guessing this guy's name is Zane Malik. Mm-hmm. He, and I'm pretty sure he is in one direction, the boy band. Okay. So he tweeted something with hashtag imposters. It took off. Everybody else started. I'm, I'm, but I'm not entirely sure what did that even mean. Right, right. So he, I have relatives I know nothing of. Imposters, ha. Yeah. So I mean, like, that is cultural clout when you can write gibberish. Oh yeah, yeah. Hashtag it, and then everyone else picks it up. Uh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Will we ever get there? No. Okay. Uh, and then the last one I had was a hashtag that was started by the Chris Hardwick Nerdist. Nerdist. I think it's a TV show called Midnight, right? Who knows? The that only thing I so know, vast. yeah, the only thing I know about Midnight is that um, Tom Sharpling makes fun of it a lot. Good. That's all I really know. I, I'm pretty sure it's like a television show somewhere. But they do this uh, hashtag game like Jimmy Fallon does. Right. So they started this hashtag, and I'm going to quote it to you verbatim. It is hashtag worse college classes. Worse? Worse. So that is the hashtag that someone was paid to create for a TV <laughs> show that is grammatically incorrect. Worse. College classes, and it was trending. I think 30, we know their worst yeah, college class. Thirty English. minutes after the net neutrality hearing, but luckily, um, I don't know if you've seen this guy at all. There's a guy on YouTube that does a lot of record reviews, like indie record reviews. His yeah. name's Anthony uh, Fantano. Mm-hmm. The top tweet is his that is saying, you know, hash, it says hashtag worst college classes. If you don't know, you should be using worst. Instead of worse here, you shouldn't be in college. So, you know. Got him. They got called out. Yeah, he took a break from a recording. <laughs> from recording Boney Bear reviews. Yeah. Um, so that's all I had for Twitter. Like I said, yeah. um, I, I did just uh, find this feature. I, I don't use the traditional Twitter app. Mm-hmm. Um, I use a third-party app called oh. TweetBot. And it has a feature on my search where I can look at nearby tweets. So I can see what people are tweeting within half a mile of where we're at right now. And I looked at it a little bit earlier. Not that interesting. Right. right. <laughs> but it's an interesting premise. <laughs> you got you to gotta get into a better neighborhood. More interesting. Maybe, neighborhood. yeah. Maybe, I, maybe if I had a cooler neighborhood, I'd have some... Sweet tweets. Some sweet tweets, yeah. Uh, so, But that's what we've got for Twitter. Like I said earlier, we kind of don't want to be spoiled on Survivor, so we're not going to get into it too much. Right. Um, but we'll take a quick break and uh, come back with uh, my recommendation.
back. Uh, and I've just got a quick recommendation for Keith before we close out the show. I'm ready. Um, our recommendation this week is an album fresh. Uh, oh, man. Fresh out of the oven. Hot off the presses. <laughs> yeah. It just came out yesterday. Um, let me. Uh, and before I tell you what it is, I'm going to read uh, the iTunes uh I guess album description for it. Are you ready? I'm ready. Uh with poignant songwriting and stadium filling energy, Herzog is one of the most affecting bands of the modern era. Mm. The group's sixth studio album, Whoa. Boys, offers understated grooves, crystalline production, and climactic hooks. Whoa. Um sounds like you too. That's actually a description for Coldplay's new album, <laughs> and I just wanted to read it because uh, I I read it when I went to iTunes to buy Herzog's album, boys, yeah. and it made me want to barf. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my recommendation is actually a band called Herzog. Their album just came out yesterday, and it's called Boys. Mm. Um, and we talked we've talked a little bit about it in, in our break. Uh, but it, I, I read the review on Pitchfork. I listened to it once. It didn't really. Um, I thought it was all right. Uh, and you thought all right is good for me, <laughs> right? Uh, but I listened to it some more, and it has really grown on me in the past day, basically. Okay. Uh, but it just is a really good like summer album. But it just it, it's basically like you know almost like late nineties like alternative. Like pop music, kind of. Um, Semi charmed life, kind of. Uh, maybe a little bit. Do, do, it's do. more like on the Weezer side of it, but it's really good. I like it a lot. Okay. Um, and I've listened to it a bunch of times already, so that's my recommendation. Herzog Boys. Herzog. All right. Um, and you know we'll we'll talk about that on the next show. Uh, but that's it for this show. And I, I wanted to. Bef- Thank God. At, yeah. At, yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. Before we go, I wanted to say this is something I've been forgetting to do in all of our episodes, or all of our shows except for the first one, I think. Uh, but the music is provided by Johnny Hawaii and Waylon Thornton, and you can find more information on that and links to their uh, music and their websites in our description. Um, but uh, we would love even one iTunes review even if it's just as like a test review does this work five yeah. stars right right I and downloaded this <laughs> right it does work the download works anything and we don't care who it's from as long as it's not you Keith or no. me Justin uh but yeah Review on iTunes if you've got the time. If not, you know, we're not going to stress about it. Yeah. Uh, like us on Facebook. Watch Rectify. Tell us who's right, who's wrong. Sure. Uh, but don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you can email us. All that will be in the description. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Blizzard with nine Zs. Keith is on Twitter. At things come right. At things come right and uh you know until next time buddy Stay frosty <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Stay frosty. Sure. <laughs> Thank you.